Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that close to next. Big jab there from Duffy and Brett Mears. Hurt now. Oh! There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it's a new month. Has it ever felt so good with respect to Ken Flo's birthday in the month of May to rip up the calendar page for May? I saw some tweet that said it feels like May 43rd. <laughs> it felt like May 44th yesterday. It is Monday, June 1, 2020. One of five episodes coming your way at the very least this month of the Anakin Florian podcast, iteration number 252. Ken Flo went to the barbershop in Los Angeles, folks. So if you're listening on iTunes, it's time to pause your phone, go on YouTube. Wow. I mean, just making everybody else in the room look less handsome today. It's worth the subscribe button. No doubt about it. Uh, Check out the hair. It's cut finally. No, honestly, it was probably the longest it's been in like maybe 20 something years. Uh, so I, I was, it was kind of became this game, how long can I get it? And then right. I was like, right. all right, I just need to just trim and look like a normal human being again. And there's no white hair there. See, my identical twin brother <laughs> hasn't had a haircut in over a year. It's beyond his shoulders. And it's like white lettuce in there, right? You know, a little white <laughs> cabbage or whatever it's called. The coleslaw stuff. See, you have none of that. No there, way. There's, a, there's some follicles that I, I got to pluck every once in a while, John. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. 
All right, so a lot to get to today. Uh, UFC Fight Night Woodley versus Burns is in the can, and Gilbert Burns is the story on a Monday. Of course, John Jones making headlines. So uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get to those headlines. Headlines. It's time for headlines. I have some very urgent and important breaking news. Headlines. On the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so Gilbert Burns in his first UFC main event, Ken Flo, comes up large, sixth consecutive win overall, but none bigger than this one. Unanimous decision winner over the former welterweight king, Tyron Woodley, 50-44 to 44 times two, and a 50-45 to 45 from the dissenting judge. Huge performance from Dorino, and, uh, you know, I don't want to sit here and say not surprised motherfuckers, right, but... I felt like he was a live underdog. I felt like his current form and recent activity could be big signs going in. Um, so let's start with Gilbert before we get to Tyron. What'd you make of his performance over 25 minutes? I thought it was awesome. Listen, you, you don't get a much better start than that against a former champion. Um, I thought that was definitely a 10-8 round. So I thought those two judges were correct. Um, you know, getting hurt like he did. He definitely froze Tyron for about a second there. Uh, ended up taking him down right into the mount. Um, you know, I, I thought it was dominant. I thought he looked like the veteran fighter. He looked certainly like the guy that was hungrier, uh, and prepared Tyron to me, even just the start of that fight. And I, and I love the guy, but his eyes just didn't seem like he was in it. Um, I don't know, man. You know, I, I thought this was a, uh, a tough fight for Tyron as far as, you know, where his motivation is at the fact that he's been out of the octagon for a long time, um, Obviously, Gilbert was coming into this fight with a tremendous amount of momentum, but he just looked like he was firing on all cylinders, just looked better everywhere against Tyron um, and kind of made it look like Tyron was was the guy who was kind of a, a little bit newer to the scene. And, and Gilbert was just ready, fired up and again, just very dominant. This is a very good team with good coaches, Henry Hooft and Kami Barzini and Greg Jones, the wrestling coach, and Kamara Usman and all the different Vicente Luque in the corner of Gilbert Burns. Uh, but when you transition from three-round UFC contender to five-round main event fighter, is there anything that you read into uh, that he was able to sustain it over 25 minutes and, and maybe didn't get the finish because his opponent wasn't all that willing over the final 15 minutes or so? Well, listen, I think all, all the hard work that Gilbert's been putting into his training has certainly paid off. I think the fact that he's become so active in the last year or so in the UFC means that he's staying in the gym or, or should be staying in the gym at all yeah. times. And he it looks like he's definitely doing that. I mean, it looked like he just went for a little light jog uh, yeah, for that yeah. fight. He was he could have looked like he could have gone another five hard rounds, uh, looked to be in tremendous shape. Um, and again, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Kamar Usman, uh, you mentioned uh, Vincente Luque, who, which are two other uh, very good welterweights who he has the opportunity uh, of training with every single day, yeah. having that. And also, I'm sure, gaining some confidence from training with the welterweight champion and getting a lot of feedback and intel on that fight between Kamar Usman and Tyron Woodley, I think really aided him in this fight as well. And look at all these guys, Flo, who have stayed loyal to Henry Hooft, right? and who have found that head coach. It's not always easy to find the guy. And, you right. know, maybe you found your guy in Faraz Sahabi later in your career than you would have liked. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But uh, congratulations to Gilbert Burns. I mean, the world's in front of him now as far as this welterweight division is concerned. I guess the fact that his teammates, the champion, works against him a little bit. Uh, Jorge Masvidal would seem to be the worthy number one contender. So assuming that Masvidal-Usman uh, is the fight that gets made, that would leave Leon Edwards in need of a fight. So I think there would be a lot of motivation for 
for a Leon Edwards-Gilbert Burns main event. I hate to pluck off a contender, right, because I think Leon Edwards certainly seems title shot worthy to me. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the immediate future might hold for, for Burns after win number six in a row? Yeah, you know, not that rankings mean everything these days, but I would imagine that um, Gilbert would probably be around number four, uh, probably the number fourth ranked uh, guy in the division after this fight. I believe he was six uh, coming into that fight against Tyron, and um, I would put him uh, around number four. And now, listen, I I like a fight against either Leon Edwards or Colby Covington. I think those are two fights that make a lot of sense. I I think that he probably matches up a little bit better against uh, Leon Edwards, perhaps. But um, I like both those fights. Right now, Gilbert Burns is a tough guy to bet against. Um, I think he's getting a tremendous amount of experience. Uh, He's gaining confidence with each and every fight. He's going to be a hard guy to stop no matter what. And uh, I'm also curious to see how that progresses if Kamaru Usman remains champion, which is a a strong possibility of how they approach that uh, moving forward, obviously being friends and training partners. Uh, But uh, couldn't be happier for Gilbert, a guy who is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion and now chasing a world championship in the UFC. It really is incredible. He's got his his sons training in the garage like warriors. Show my daughters that, you know. Yeah, Get on your fucking bike, honey. You see what these goddamn children are doing in their in their father's garage? We can make this a lot harder on you, Corey. Yeah, ladies. Uh, exactly. So the other side of this is Tyron Woodley, and whenever fighters win or lose, uh, there's somebody who wants to hate on whatever they're doing, right? And some people want to denigrate this Gilbert Burn Burns win, and I'm not suggesting that he's absolutely top tier class of the welterweight division but some still suggest that Gilbert Burns is maybe on that second tier still looking up at guys like Usman and Masvidal Mm -hmm. Woodley's the other side of this 38 years old seemed risk averse to me I don't know how much the first round had to do with that I didn't watch all of what Woodley had to say after the fact um, but didn't seem to want to pull the trigger even when that was the only recipe for a win what what were your overall thoughts on, on Woodley's performance yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. Tyron really hasn't been the guy who has gone forward looking for a knockout. He's more the guy that he allows you to come towards him and then he counters you with a big shot. If you are really aggressive, Tyron kind of seems to shine in that light like he did against Darren Till, for example. Um, and it just seemed like he was really relying on that right hand. And it I I think he expected to try to land a big shot against Gilbert, and that never really came. And if he did land a a good right hand, it really didn't have much of an effect on Gilbert. Um, So I I think he kind of went in there looking a little bit more like a a one-trick pony than I've ever seen him uh, in previous fights. His footwork looked a little bit off. But more than anything, John, more than anything, and again, this is tough for me to say, but I don't know if Tyron looked like he really, really wanted to be there. I think we, you know, we we can tell when you see a fighter is in it, and even if he's losing, okay, and that happens, you know, he he's fighting elite guys, um, you know, you have your good days and your bad days, but you can certainly tell when your eyes are in it. He didn't seem like he was in it against Kamara Usman, and he didn't seem like he was really in it against Gilbert Burns. Now, this is not to take away anything from Gilbert Burns, but for me. That's not the tyrant that we've all kind of come to see, right. uh, especially, you know, as he was coming up to become a champion and when he was defending his belt against some tough guys. So I don't know, man. I think that's a sign to me. If I was talking about anybody else, I would say that's when you really got to think about whether you want to pursue this as a as a career, because the professional fight game, 
Uh, it is brutal, yeah. man. And if you are not into it, you will get hurt. I don't want to see that uh, amongst anybody, let alone a friend and a guy that I've worked with in Tyrod Woodley. And I guess to my eyes, and you hit on a number of, of good points, he he looked conditioned. You know, he, he didn't quit Look over 25 minutes. But yeah. is it the right training? You know, is the, the hunger really there, the championship hunger that Gilbert Burns has, right? Because Gilbert Burns believes on any Saturday night that he's the best welterweight in the world. And I don't know if Woodley's self-belief uh, took a hit in that Kamaru Usman fight. But uh, he wasn't the same that night. And this was sort of an inactive, uneven effort, uh, especially against a guy that he was about a two-to-one favorite to beat. John, this is the ultimate fighting championship. And, you know, your focus has to be very singular. This is a game where everyone's trying to get better and everyone's planning to defeat you. Tyron Woodley was the world champion in the welterweight division for a good amount of time. Yeah. And and that's a great thing, but it's also a bad thing because everybody is looking for ways to beat you. And every time you have a fight, people are looking for weaknesses and looking for what was successful and what was not. They should be anyway, right? So when Tyron is at this stage, he needs to continue to get better. And if his focus isn't on fighting and training all the time, and you're just going into training camps when you have a fight, which is something that I never understood as a fighter. Like I didn't even understand what a camp was. I'm like, what do you mean right. you're going right. into camp? Aren't you right. fucking training all the time? Right. Are you a professional or not? I don't understand that. But anyways, um, it, it's way too dangerous. It, it, it's crazy to me that uh, you know a fighter doesn't stay training all the time and isn't getting better. Uh, a tremendous athlete like a Tyron Woodley, more than anything else, should right. be getting better all the time. And I saw almost a decline there. Um, and and that, that's hard to see, and it's hard to say. Right. And I think, too, when you talk about other professional athletes in the NBA, given maybe what those salaries are, it's like you damn well better be working out 330 days a year. And that's just as a Celtics fan, you know. Right. So uh, there's a lot of uh, layers to that. But for uh, for Tyron Woodley, I think there's going to be a lot put into his next fight now. Right. Because now he's looking at this two fight losing streak. He doesn't seem to be walking away. But at 38 years old, uh, you know, can that hunger and drive and energy all return. And uh, I do think there are winnable fights in that top 15. But if you're looking for easy outs at 170 pounds and Tyron's a main event fighter, a former champion, had the belt for a long time. So he's probably looking at main events, big fights. Even the Covington fight could come his way. So mm-hmm. uh, we shall see. But uh, we congratulate Gilbert Burns uh, quickly on the co-main event. Ken Flo, uh, Augusto Sakai over Bwagoy Ivanov by split decision. So two points for me out of this fight. I like Sakai. I'm intrigued to see what he can do moving forward in the heavyweight division. You know, not the tightest midsection, but I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, but the fence grab, man, you know, like I got a few, I don't have that many pet peeves in mixed martial arts, but fence grabs to me uh, are not penalized the way they need to be. And I don't know if the referee didn't have the right angle here or what, but this fence grab should take a point and a half away. TJ, come at me, right, Ken Flo? Certainly should have been a point deduction uh, and that would have changed things for Bwagwa Ivanov as far as the scorecards. Yes, so uh, what were your thoughts on the, uh, the the ill-fated fence grab there? John, no doubt about it. I mean, it really could have changed the whole fight. Uh, that was quite possibly the determining factor on who was going to win that fight. Um, we can't say that no matter what, you know, Blagoy Ivanov would have, you know, kept him on the mat after that throw or whatever, but 
I mean, that was a takedown that was looked like really was going to happen. Um, it was beautiful timing by Ivanov uh, and Sakai holding on to that fence, man. Yeah. I guess he had the right angle. The referee wasn't able to see it, but right. um, him able to keep that, uh, you know, keep the fight uh, standing really changed the whole uh, trajectory of the fight. Um, it's what won him the fight. Kudos to him uh, for, for doing that as far as standing uh, up for the remainder of that fight, but yeah, that that was an illegal uh, fence grab that should have warranted uh, a point deduction uh, for Sakai. Uh, but I'm not going to be mad at it because I picked Sakai to right. win. I told hey, you, you, Ian Parker. Right. I told you. Hey, what do you think about Sakai? What do you think I'll, about Sakai? I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. Ha! I'll say he, this. He, he, he moves pretty well for a big guy. He's sneaky fast. I think he's got some decent athleticism. I was most impressed with his kicks. But if you are a giant heavyweight, you got to learn how to punch. He was it was all arm punches. He's not generating any force from his feet from the floor. He's not yeah. really generating force with his legs, with his hips, with his rotation. It's all arm punches. If he can improve that, if he can go out and get a boxing coach to really teach him how to punch, people might be in trouble. This is a guy who can maybe go far in the heavyweight division. So I, I think he has a, a lot of potential. He moves well. It's not like he's not capable. Um, but he's got to clean up the fence grabs yeah. and, and clean up that boxing. And there are a lot of more subtle examples of fence grabs where fighters get away with it, and it effectively changes the whole complexion of the fight. If you See, there you go. Yeah. If you get away with one fence grab that prevents a takedown and, and you win a round because of it or stay upright because of it, it yeah. can be a huge deal. Uh, so, all right, so Augusto Sakai, we'll see uh, how it goes for him. But off to a 4-0 start, I believe, in the UFC heavyweight division. Not too shabby there. Uh, big win for Billy Q. Did you see that fight oh with Billy Quarantello and Spike Carlisle? Had to be the fight of the night. I didn't see the bonuses after the fact, but what a hell of a fight, and I thought the rightful guy won, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't know, Billy, but watching that fight, all I kept saying is if he pulls this off, he oh. is going to learn so much from this fight and gain so much confidence. This is one of those fights that if you watch and you're a, you know, a, a new mixed martial arts fan uh, and you see Carlisle, you're like, this guy is a savage He's going to kick that other little dude's ass. This is the beauty of martial arts is when you are focused and when you are determined and when you are skillful, that will be the difference. Billy, uh, man, just I was clapping out there. What a fight. It was nonstop action. That guy, Carlisle, is not only like a, a kind of a caveman, but he is tough as nails, man. That was a tremendous fight. I don't think they stopped fighting, actually fighting for any second of that whole fight. It, it was awesome. And again, Billy made some mistakes in that fight, but he's going to learn a lot from that one. He gained about five to six fights of experience in that one in that one 15-minute fight. It was, yeah, it was awesome. I agree. And Cody Merrow, print the T-shirts, ABC, always bet on cardio. If you're out there and you're gambling, right, you want to be on the cardio guy because Billy Q has it in droves, and certainly that's what carried him over the final two rounds. And... Sign me up to see Spike Carlisle the next time he competes. I mean, both yep. of those guys. But we'll have Billy Q on the podcast coming up because he's a uh, a friend of Ray Longo. Speaking of which, let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. <laughs> Stop the presses. Ray Longo is on video. Yeah. His hair is north, south, east, west in dire need of a trim, but you look good, my man. It's good to see you. 
John, look, after looking at you two guys, there's one thing that's evident. I'm the only guy without a Manscaped kit. That's <laughs> it. I have nothing. <laughs> Even Ken Flo, Look at Ken Flo, How good he looks. I was Holy able bro. to uh, pressure someone into a haircut, and uh, it, it, it oh, came man. through. Came through. I'm going yeah. with the corn rolls this week. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. So, uh, we're going to be corn rolled. We're going to get. We're going to play a game of cornhole, and we're going to get cornhole. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah, so uh, we're going to send a barber and a Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 to your house. Uh, so uh, I got to ask you. So Cody Merrow, our, our marketing guy, our social media guy, pushed out your Ray Longo Minute last week, teasing that you had an announcement, uh, to which you responded, what announcement? Do you remember oh, yeah. the show last week when you basically told our listeners that you weren't going to Vegas with Aljo? Did you forget the announcement? I have absolutely no memory of that night. <laughs> I uh, invoke my Fifth Amendment, Ken Flo. No, that never can. Can we pull that up? Because I don't believe that ever happened. <laughs> All right. So I'm sitting Thank here. I, I got my corner audio sheet from our UFC producer, Zach Candido, and your name is not there in Aljamain Sterling's corner. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if come Thursday you just say, fuck it, and get on a plane. Uh, but as we sit here now, obviously Aljo's got his circle. They seem to be living it up in Vegas as much as you can, given the uh, the circumstances, and they seem ready to go. No, they had, they, look, there's, we've, we've all discussed everything. Um it's all it's all good, man. He's with great people out there. You can see the group he's got. And I, I'm I'm saying that that camaraderie alone is going to get him through that fight. Al knows what to do in the corner, and it sucks, man. I, I really I really can't I can't believe this is actually happening. But we did make the decision, and and I got to tell you, Matt's a big part of that, man. I was actually going to go to Al's house. I was on my way over. He's like, you can't, don't go. What are you doing? Like, you know. So everybody's being very protective, which is good. Because I guess, you know, I'm getting ready to be put out to pasture, I guess. That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> Kenny, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not a, yeah. it's not a good feeling. I, I mean, That's not true. Time, but what a shitty feeling this is. Really, really. Because, right. you know what? Hey. I saw Mark Ratner there. You know what I mean? I was going to say, at least there's one guy that's older than me. But I really wanted to, I really wanted to send out a text and go, dude, be careful. What are you, what hey, are listen, you doing? You know what I mean? If any of the guys over there try to take you for a walk towards the shed and you hear a little click of the shotgun, <laughs> then just go the other way. All right, yeah, I got I got that yeah. down to a science, right. Ken Flo. Don't worry. About All right, <laughs> I got that down to a science. You so, can see uh, you can see my background. I'm in cell block 34. <laughs> yeah, Rikers. Rikers. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to watch the uh, fights with that hair bothering your ears and stuff. Maybe we can get a barber over there, but between now and Saturday. But as far as this fight is concerned, truthfully. Yes. This is the fight that jumps off the card for me. I mean, this is a huge fight. Vegas can't pick a favorite. It's a pick em fight right now. Corey Sanhagen, minus 115. Aljamain Sterling, minus 115. Talk to me. I mean, give me a dig deep on Corey, this fight. Talk to me about this matchup and uh, and why you're excited for it. Well, look, man, it's, it's really a great matchup between two guys that are really ascending on the same path. I mean, that's that's the thing. Corey, I think, Came in a little after Aljo. I think Aljo had a little more traction. But, man, the guy loves to fight. His stand-up is good. Uh, I think uh, Aljo's, you know, he's going to play to his strengths. And uh, Aljo's a hard guy to prepare for. He really is. He's very unorthodox. Uh, I, I don't think you could really put, you know, know what he's going to do. Because, like, again, he's got a very, very unorthodox style. And I think it's going to, it's really going to be a great fight. I, I was... Watching the countdown special, I was because we we filmed a couple of things. I was surprised that they they had uh, a Sun Sound and Cody Garbrandt 
as the co like you know he's a co-main event as opposed to you know Aljo and and uh, Sandhagen, which I think is definitely the fight to to look at. I mean, I think that's the most intriguing fight outside of the main event. So I, I don't know, but uh, look, it's it's styles make fights. This should be a great fight, man. I think we're going to see uh, Sandhagen loves to come forward. Like again, he's very confident in his stand up, very relaxed. Uh, uh, and Aljo's going to do his thing, man. It's going to be a great fight. We had really some really good looks for Aljo for Sanhagen. So I don't think he's going to be off guard with a lot of stuff. So it should be great. I can't wait to get Ken Flo's prediction on that fight later in the in the, in the program today. Ooh, so a uh, couple other things here that I wanted to get your take on. Firstly, Gilbert Burns and Tyron Woodley. Did you watch the main event on Saturday? Of course, of course, I watched it. Me and T. Like, what didn't, else are you come, gonna do, huh? What else uh, how, are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, exactly. It was that, or I was gonna peel <laughs> the paint off of my bathroom wall. One the, uh, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, you guys did. You, I, I was expecting a call, and me and TJ did a show on Facebook uh, Fight Pass. Where the hell was the calls? I kept some. When's John's call coming in? This is unbelievable. Wow. This is breaking I mean, news to me. This is breaking news. What are you doing? Where is he? Where oh, is TJ's, he right now? TJ's omnipresent. Oh, I'm here. I'm, I, you know, I'm just uh, fielding uh, phone calls and offers from how successful our post-fight show was on, <laughs> on Saturday night. <laughs> we crushed it, TJ. We crushed it. I tell you, TJ worked me like a ho- like a horse, man. I got done with that. My eyeballs were spinning. I went right to bed. <laughs> Normally, I'm up for a while. But uh, no, look, the Burns fight was phenomenal, man. What a performance by Burns. Uh you know, we we had talked about it a little bit too. It's just that it, the fascinating cause when guys lose that strap, man, it's so hard to come back. I don't know what it is. You know, obviously psychologically, you get used to certain things, and maybe you climb the mountain. But to 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 lose it and to make a run back is just so so hard. And we've seen it. Like I said, even like Weidman struggling after he lost. You know, Rashad Evans. Uh, you could go on through a million people, you know, uh, Kenny, and you could probably address that even better than I can. But uh, it's, you know, he just he 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 was in the fight, but he just couldn't pull the trigger. And I think once Burns figured out, you know, once you take away the right hand to Woodley, he's either going to counter you with the right hand or he's going to try to blitz you with it. He doesn't really he had to offer more. You know, we heard he trained in Thailand. There was no evidence of any Thai boxing going on. I mean, I don't. You know, he, he, I think they figured him out. And once, you know, Burns took that right hand away, it was, he just imposed his, uh, his game plan on him. So we were talking about Billy Q before you came on uh, here. I have to imagine that was the fight of the night. How about that kid, huh? I, I really thought that was the fight of the night by far. No, I mean, Didn't, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'll check the bonuses right now. I'm sure TJ has that information, but that uh, was an no, awesome. No, he, he didn't get it. Oh, anyway, Ray, let's hear what, what you have to th- say. I'll look it up right now. But what would you think about goddamn Billy Q? Man, I'll tell you, survive first, then win. I mean, that guy came yeah. out like a bat out of hell, and he survived that onslaught, and he was able to come back. Uh, he's got great cardio, and uh, what a great fight that was, man. Close fight, but great fight, and Billy Q really earned that, man. He, that, was a, that was a great, fun fight to watch, and hats off to Billy Q. He's just a great kid. And I was so happy to see him win, you know, because I, I didn't really even like the catch weight at 150. You know what I mean? But, you know, he wants to fight. So that was cool. Right. So I'm glad it worked out for him. But what, right, a, so what a great back and forth fight that was. Carlisle looked like he was in a completely different weight class. He looked so much oh. bigger, too. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Carlisle, they see, he seems like a total mad hatter, that kid. It's funny. 
But the one big mistake he made, Kenny, too, when he just walked away like that, just a real <laughs> lack of fight IQ, though. I mean, I, I wonder why. I, of, I don't know if like, there's no other person, you know, sounding a, 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 a horn in there. I don't know why he did it. It was so strange to the point I mean, where I, I was like, did the round end? And he's walking, I mean, walking away. Really, but Billy did the right thing. You keep fighting 100%. all the way. Protect yourself at all times. 100%. This guy walked away. I mean, a little bonkers. That's what I think the guy's literally bonkers because there's no crowd. So it's not like you couldn't hear anything. You could hear everything. Maybe this he felt the horn did... in his head. There was a bell on his head or something. <laughs> yeah. It was ringing. Yeah. I don't this know guy, who knows. He just decided to get up and just, you know, go wave to somebody in the uh, non-audience. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't yeah. know what that I, I've never seen that before where... It wasn't like a walk-away knockout. Just, right. He wasn't just a walk-off KO. Around. Like the lead horse, Mark Hunt. So, uh, yeah, so Billy Q over Spike Carlisle. Uh, by the way, uh, they did not get the uh, fight of the night. That went to Brandon uh, Royville and Tim Elliott. Hell of a fight there as well. But uh thought yeah, maybe great. Billy Q and Spike Carlisle got the fight of the night. So uh, did you watch this whole fight card? And if not, it's okay. But the first fight of the night, right, I happened to be watching before I went and put, put the kids to bed. <laughs> Chris Gutierrez by leg kicks, right? Beautiful. Dude, I mean, Absolutely well, beautiful. not if you're Vince Morales. I mean, when are you trying to walk again, Vince? You know, I mean, well, that is. Of, yeah, listen, you know, you know what's, you know what's worse, Kenny, than getting kicked in the leg when you switch stances and he starts beating the shit out of the <laughs> other leg. That's the only <laughs> thing that's worse. Yeah. I mean, what a, but listen, look at the patience, the distancing, the, uh, you know, like the distance management. He always, he didn't get overexcited. He just picked that guy apart. It was brutal. It was actually brutal. I've yeah. said it before, and I'll say it again, Ray. When I was fighting, no one was really throwing that calf kick, and man, am I am I lucky. Um, I would have, of course, tried to use it, but man, it's such a difficult technique to try to address because, number one, uh, it's very difficult to block. It, it comes fast. You can't really counter it with a takedown. Um, and if you try to pick it up with it, like a traditional you know, tie block like you do in Thailand for a leg kick on the quad, you get taken out on a trip. So uh, it's kind of one of those dilemmas that is really difficult to deal with, and you're seeing more and more fighters utilize this, and uh, obviously Morales paid for it. Yeah, and the worst part is that nerve that's down there by the right. by the Achilles is crazy what that does. You saw even with Chandler, they, I think they call it a drop-off, where he couldn't even – he could not even flex his foot. He couldn't There's less muscle. There's less muscle there to protect it too, right? So, I mean, that nerve really? is immediately affected. It's horrible. That's why I gotta say, man. I give, I get, I said it. I think I saw Felder in Atlantic City after the Barboza fight. I go, how the fuck did you walk through those kicks, man? He was getting smashed on the on the cap, and he he's toughed it out. He's it just goes to show you how tough Paul Felder is. Oh yeah, Barboza, Barboza kicks like a mule, and he 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 walked through that crap, man. Where you know other people, you just saw it, like the fight we're talking about. That guy, I'm gonna say probably took half of that damage but his leg just i guess it's the way your leg is structured uh but man what a brutal kick that is and it's funny that after all these years we finally see that that used to be like kenny when you were sparring in the gym and a guy kicked you like that you thought he sucked like, yeah, yeah. exactly like, yeah. i do you know what i mean it was almost like that was the sign of a horrible fighter he came uh, to get his leg up 100%. he's kicking you and then yeah it's crazy you don't really feel a, it. you have the shin guards on but once those shin guards come off you're like oh that's that's a real move. That actually, I, mean, I got Kenny. I see it in the gym, even with the shin guards. That's not a picnic, man. I bet, it's man. Still, it's still people. It's still we got to stop it. We can go for a couple, but then we got to pull back. You know, yeah, it's brutal. I don't brutal. know who deserves the credit, 
but it has been, of all the things that we talk about with MMA evolution, at least for me and watching this over the last 10 years, that has changed the game uh, more than any singular strike, Kenny. I mean, I would talk about submission defense has improved across the board, but that strike has changed the game, and it's been a couple years. It really has. I think the guy who, at least one of the earlier guys who was utilizing it, I don't know if he was the guy who invented it, right? But uh, Benson Henderson uh, deserves a lot of credit. He was one of the guys who was throwing it very early on and utilizing it with, with great success. Right. And even at that time, you looked at it like, well, that's weird. You yeah, know, like he didn't, totally. I don't think he found the success that all these other guys found with it, though. Right. You know, I think I think the first time I, – I look, I'm not, I'm not – I'm, my history sucks with that, but I think Chandler was the first guy that really got smashed and, and couldn't walk and was hopping around and he still wanted to fight. I think that's what brought it to the for, uh, forefront. Yeah. You know, Henderson threw it, but it wasn't a game changer for him. You know what I mean? That, that was a game changer for a lot of people. You cannot take a lot of those kicks. It's just, you're yeah. not going to have any wheels by the end of the fight. That's a right. big deal, man. No, I'm glad we covered it. And calf kicks do predate certainly that Brent Primus Michael Chandler fight in the UFC. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah. and now, obviously, there are a lot of people who are employing them uh, with great success. But, you know, not everybody genetically is built like Paul Felder and able to take those kicks, too. I mean, respectfully, a guy like me would probably take you one to either break <laughs> my tibia or fibula or whatever, you know. Uh, all right. Before we let you go, Raymond Peter Longo, it's great to have you on video. The hair situation notwithstanding. We got a championship fight coming up here Saturday night. Amanda Nunez, prohibitive favorite, taking on Felicia Spencer. Uh, I like that Felicia Spencer is a natural bona fide featherweight. Uh, how competitive you think this title fight is going to be? Uh, well, look, we've seen... Look, I, I do believe Felicia Spencer is unafraid. You know what I mean? I think she's definitely... You've got to... You can't question her courage and her guts i mean she the way she fought cyborg she was taking a bit of a beating but i tell you what i think it's going to be a grueling fight if, if amanda I, I don't even know but nunez is just on a different level but i think it's going to be a good fight i think maybe the size of spence and uh, you know she's going to grind it she's going to go forward you know maybe with this what what's happening with the uh pandemic maybe somebody's cardio is off we don't know but uh I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting fight. I'm excited for that fight. Oh, my man, you but got I, anything I, mean, else? I, I think it's I think it's hard to it's hard to go against Nunes if that's what you're asking. And right. She seems right. like she's just on a different level with her striking, and I do believe, you know, I mean, look, Spence is definitely going to take a lot of punishments, whether she can get anything, you know, in return with it. But man, I don't know. Uh, Nunes is she really is pound for pound. That's the best I've seen from a female ever. Yeah. All right, my brother, I'm excited to see Aljo and see what he can do this weekend. I know you'll be anxious uh, watching the fights uh, back in the northeastern part of the United States. We'll miss you out there. And if you change yeah. your mind, uh, just don't show up at room 1389 because we will not answer the door. We're socially distant. <laughs> oh, I'll have a mask on. And a, all right, all right. Yeah, and a haircut. And a haircut. And a ha no, the hair's, the hair's not going anywhere. This is it. Until this <laughs> pandemic is over, I'm not cutting it. Well, no, then let it go. I mean, then by all means, let it go. And you won't hear anything else from me. I mean, and it's not white at all. You guys with these genetics, it's unbelievable. I got to shave my white whiffle every three days, you know. <laughs> I tell you guys look great. You well, guys are let us well go. Groomed. You guys are very well groomed. I'm very proud of you. Both of you. You look great. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, uh, hey, well, yeah, Booyah is right. Nod to the great 
late, Stuart Scott. All right, have a great week. Uh, hopefully it goes your way Saturday night. Don't forget to text me all the cheat codes and uh, all the on-air that, stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, be uh, out of my, I'll be coming out of my skin, I guarantee you. But I'll definitely be texting you. And remember, we pay you 200 bucks here whenever one of your fighters on the UFC stage finishes someone. So if Aljo gets the finish, we're sending you a lawnmower 3.0, a barber to your oh, house, and 200 American dollars. So. Remember, remember that, Kenny, for next week. Remember <laughs> yeah, what he, he doesn't consult with me. This is crazy. No. Right, that's $100 can I, can can right my, I can picture myself shaving my balls right now. <laughs> you guys. All right, guys. Hey, this was great, man. I'm glad to be back on camera. See you, Ray. Good luck this week. Take it easy, man. I'll see you next week. Making that happen. There he is. Ray Longo made it every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Speaking of which, support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. And as Ken Flo knows, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you likely need a gift for your hairy dad. So make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped perfect package. So my dad was born in 1951. I cannot profess to you just how much he could have used a brand like Manscaped back in the 70s. Only men's brand dedicated to men's below-the-waist grooming. And this Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with, among other great things, the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, third generation now of this water-resistant cordless body trimmer, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer in there as well, the Crop Reviver Refreshing Spray, and reduced chafing athletic boxer briefs as well. Let's not pretend, pretend your dad has this stuff covered. Help the guy out so he's using the best tools for the job. And also for men and women alike out there, Got to appreciate the fact that Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. So for our listeners today, we want to get you started. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code AF at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code AF. It's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Kind of amazing we got 40 minutes into the show without mentioning the name John Jones. I think that's in large part because we're trying to keep the focus on the athletes that are competing. So time permitting, we will get some thoughts from Ken Flo on the way out on Johnny Bones Jones and his likely decision to step away for however long. Uh, we welcome in Ian Parker on social media, Ian Parker MMA. God, look at the the pool tools and everything else, man. I want your bankroll. My kids are underprivileged. Sorry, what I just had to grab. That? I had to grab the fence a little bit before I saw Kenny. I apologize. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like <laughs> the props. Sakai won fair and square, man. I didn't see a fence grab myself. I, I'll be honest right. with you. I, I didn't I see it. I saw a fence fucking pull. <laughs> like he almost three. pulled the whole thing down. Yeah. God oh, damn! Man. You had to be fucking Helen Keller to not see that. Thing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> One of the one of the more egregious fence grabs that I think I, I've ever seen. Uh, but it goes into the books as a second straight. I love how I love when Ken Flo nods when I have to take the standings. <laughs> now we're even. Now we're even, man. Let's Kenny, go. Kenny, Kenny was yelling, "Grab the fence! Grab <laughs> yeah. the fence!" <laughs> All right. So it is forty-six apiece after a three-to-two winning week for Team Florian. I love when our official scorer Brady Miller comes at you guys and suggests that you've had a bad week. You know, wasn't the best week for you guys, but I love when the official scorer comes at you publicly. I love that. No, no. He goes, "The boys had a rough week." But <laughs> you know, I want to throw this out there. I I fucking went flawless on the undercard betting wise. Yes, the main event challenge. Obviously, we both 
you know, we didn't hit Tyron Woodley, you know, and we didn't hit Shevchenko, but like makes it sound like it was pick, it was either dirt or filth. And Kenny was just the least worst of the week. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like Brady, right. like, bro, come on. All right. We love well, you. we'll see. We'll see if you can do better this week anyway. Uh, it's <laughs> UFC 250, Nunez versus Spencer, Saturday night live on pay-per-view. Ten picks today overall, so we got to be pretty efficient with these boys. Six featured selections, four quick picks on the way out. We will begin at featherweight. Featured prelim here, Chase Hooper and Alex Caceres. So Hooper was born September 13th, 1999. He is 20 years old. He needs someone to buy him alcohol. He's undefeated. He's the minus 145 favorite here as he faces 21-time UFC veteran, Alex Caceres. Caceres, more UFC fights than Hooper has years on the planet. Uh, Caceres plus 115, Ian Parker. Who do you like? You know what? I think this is actually a pretty tough fight in general. I think Caceres is going to have the edge and the striking, obviously the experience. I think if the fight goes to the ground and Hooper's on top, though, I think Caceres may have a little bit of trouble with that, although he's a pretty good jiu-jitsu guy in himself, obviously not the level of Hooper. This is a really tough pick. I thought Hooper struggled really, really hard on the feet last time around against someone with a lot less experience. I'm gonna at the moment. I'm gonna roll the dice on Bruce Leroy here. Um, if he could somehow keep this fight standing, I don't think he makes the same mistake that uh, Hooper's last opponent did. So I'm gonna go with the experienced fighter here and the underdog and take Caceres. Qualifying it with the fact that he is making this selection on Monday, and Ian does reserve the right to change his selections up until he can reach me on Saturday. And I can flow. He's going with an underdog early here, Alex Caceres. Or do you like Chase Hooper? What do you think? Man, you know, uh, I definitely think Caceres can win this fight. Um, you know, not really keeping up with how his training is going or anything like that. Um, I do think he's going to have the advantage on the feet. Obviously, he has a ton of experience. I think Hooper's going to be the better guy on the ground, as, as Ian said. Um, I, I think, you know, Hooper, you know, has a lot of momentum. I think he's the fresher fighter. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Hooper as of right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, not a bad pick there for me. All right. Now let us get to the pay-per-view main card. First out of the shoot here in the Bantamweight division, the first WEC Bantamweight champ, Eddie Wineland, a plus 300 underdog here, boys, against the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, who is minus 400. So Wineland, not all that active of late, but is coming off a big knockout win last June in Chicago. O'Malley, of course, ending that long extended two-year layoff March 7th with a huge win over Jose Teco Quinones. Ian O'Malley, prohibitively favored here, minus 400. What do you think about the main card opener on pay-per-view? You know, Sugar Sean, you ask and you shall receive. This is a tough, tough test at Eddie Wineland. It seems like the guy doesn't age. You know, it seems like all the fights over the years doesn't really impact him. And I think he's evolved pretty well. I think Sugar Sean is the better overall fighter here. That minus 400, though, scares the, the shit out of me. Because Eddie Wineland's got, striking-wise, he can knock out anyone in that division. He's not just a brawler anymore. He's gotten way more technical. And he's smart. He doesn't really fight stupid. Um I just think Sean O'Malley, you know, we talk about being more fresh. I think his jujitsu is way better. I'm going to go with Sugar Sean, but on a betting standpoint, if people want to take a shot at Eddie Wyland, I will not hate him for it. it yeah. It's worth it with the value. It's kind of crazy. Nicely done, and I'm glad you gave old Eddie Wineland a little shine there. I, look at me calling a guy who's probably fucking 15 years younger than me, old Ken Flo. I mean, uh, O'Malley, though, the story in this one, right? He's 11-0. and 0, He's 25 years old, and I think for me, if I was able to buy a stock, in a young fighter, I'd be buying shares in O'Malley. I think he will be 
if not a UFC champion, he will be in that conversation uh, once he gets his cracks against the elite. That being said, you got to take care of the Eddie Winelands of the world first, and I say that with all due respect. Ken Flo, Sean O'Malley, minus 400 this weekend. You know, Sean's reach, just that alone, is really going to give a lot of guys problems in that division. Now, um, I think O'Malley has the striking and the grappling to deal with someone like Eddie Wineland. Um, I think that Eddie is going to be a very dangerous out for him, though. This is one of those fights where you have to be focused every second of every round. If Sean O'Malley gets cocky or overconfident during that fight, that's where he's going to get caught by uh, the veteran Eddie Wineland. So I do like uh, Sean, o Sean O'Malley, though. Um, I do think he has a tremendous amount of potential. If he can keep that composure, stay calm, and stay focused, it's his fight. All right, next fight here at Welterweight. I like the matchmaking here. It'll be Neil Magny, minus 145, versus Anthony Rocco Martin, who is plus 115. We'll have Ken Flo lead this one here. So I thought Magny just looked great in that recent win over Lee Jing Leong. That was March 7th, UFC 248. And he'll get another one in here against another workhorse type, Anthony Rocco Martin, who's won five of six. Ken Flo, pretty close according to Vegas here. You're going with Neil Magny or Anthony Rocco Martin. You know, I think this is the kind of fight that Neil Magny should win. Uh, I thought he looked great in his last fight. He really looked sharp, looked focused, uh, was moving quite well. Um, and, yeah, I, I think he takes this one against Anthony Rocco Martin, who is definitely very tough. He's going to pressure you. He's going to come forward. But um, I don't know if he's going to be able to, um, you know, bring the fight to the ground where I think he'll probably have the advantage against Magny. Uh, I think Magny will be able to keep it on the feet. Uh, as long as Magny's in shape, which I think he should be, and he's been yeah. quite active as of late, so um, it's a quick turnaround for him anyway. I, I think uh, uh, Magny gets the win here by decision. Could be a big night for Elevation Fight Team with Neil Magny and Corey Sanhagen. So Anthony Rocco Martin, and on the other side, decision win over Ramazan Amiv last November. He fought three times in 2019. Only lost since 2017 to Ken Flo's guy, Damian Maya. So certainly in good form right now. Your thoughts on Rocco Martin in an underdog spot against the 15-time UFC winner, Neil Mack? Uh, I think Rocco Martin is very tough. Again, another guy whose game has just evolved repeatedly. I, I kind of, I'm redundant with that saying, but it just shows that when these guys really stay true to the game and they take their wins and their losses in stride, it shows how far they can get. However, Neil Magny didn't look good in his last fight. He looked fucking flawless in his last yeah. fight. And this was someone who we haven't seen in a while, which we weren't used to. You know, he was like that Cowboy Cerrone type, fight all the time. He caught a break, and that's the Magny we thought we were going to see coming off the ultimate fighter. Dominant, pushing the pace, using the clinch, using that reach. I think this is a bad matchup for Rocco. I don't think he gets this fight to the ground, and I think Magny's pace is too much for anybody. So I like Neil Magny here as well. All right, featured bout in the Bantamweight division. Pick them for us, according to Las Vegas, at least when I checked. So I know Aljamain Sterling may be minus 120 now. We're going minus 115 on both sides of this. Sterling Sanhagen had both guys on this show over the last two weeks. Both guys with plus skills in all areas. I'm excited to watch them compete, Ian, but we need a pick out of you. You going with Aljamain Sterling or Corey Sanhagen? This one's tough, you know, um, watching both interviews, obviously, I, you know, it, both guys are confident in their abilities. They're both at the top of their game. You know, for me, I, I guess I'll go with who fought a better level of competition in Aljamain Sterling. You know, I think his last few fights, I've seen some growth out of him with his striking more to finish. Uh, not as conservative. You know, he's dangerous on the ground. I thought Sanhagen did an incredible job against the Sun Sao, though. I don't I haven't seen too many guys dominate Rafael the way he did. Although he put himself in some questionable positions, he also easily got out of it and 
recognize the mistake. I just think if I had to pick, which I do, this is not, this is a really tough right. one to bet. It really is. Um, you know, I'll go Aljo, you know, based on where he is. Um, however, I think for Corey, this is a win-win. Even if he loses, he's so young, he'll be back in no time anyway. Yeah. So, and I don't Did want Ray to be mad at me, so. Right. I was going to say, just on principle, I'd be fading Longo's guys left Did and right just betting against him. That <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good impersonation right there. I've had two uh, weeks to work on it. Did you buy ducks and like plant them in your backyard for the sound effects? What do we got going on over there? You know what? It's so quiet, and then I get on. That sounds a little bit more like a manscaped ad. That sound like uh, TJ just made. Yeah, they're they're around here, bro. They just follow me. It's like I've become the duck master. I don't know. It's weird. Ken Flo, I am so thankful I do not have to make a prediction on Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen, especially on Monday of fight week. But that's why you get paid the big bucks, kid. So Sandhagen Sterling, who do you like? They're just going to put that on my back. I already got a bad back, kid. Come on. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, listen, um, I think this is a very tough fight to call. I love both these guys. First of all, I love the fact that these are two very unique individuals who really put their own spin on mixed martial arts in a sport where, you know, in my opinion, no offense to everybody. Buddy, I think all, you know, there's a lot of fighters that look like they're the same dude. You look at Corey Sanhagen and you look at Aljo, they're their own guy. They're doing yeah. their own thing. They have their own unique style. And I love that. So um, these are guys that I think, you know, um, are really taking mixed martial arts uh, to a different level in a lot of ways. Um, and it's a tough one to call. I like the fact that Corey Sanhagen um, has excellent footwork. I like the fact that he has a, a, a few different ways to win Aljo while he likes to mix it up on the feet and can be very unorthodox and confusing on the feet. Uh, I think Aljo might be a little bit more dangerous on the ground. Now, um, Corey Sag Sanhagen's height, his reach, I think is going to be tough for Aljo to deal with. I think he's going to be moving in and out, uh, mixing in some takedowns, trying to put Aljo on his back, probably late in the fight. Um, you know, and I, I think Corey Sanhagen probably has a little bit more tools on the feet. This is a tough one for me to pick, but I like Corey Sanhagen uh, in, in this fight. And I think regardless of whoever wins or loses, I think both these guys can not only be contenders uh, again, but could be champions in that division. Very interesting. Sanhagen's frame. I just looked at the measurables, right? Because it's very rare that Aljamain Sterling runs into a guy that has any size on him. Aljo's got one inch in reach, but Sanhagen 5'11", 11, 11, yeah. listed, and Aljamain Sterling 5'7". Uh, we might we might need to give Aljo another inch because I'm going five eight and three quarters and well I, actually I do look a little bit down I mean never looking down at Aljo but I do look a little <laughs> down at the guy you know I mean we're yeah. five nine on the driver's license here in Florida that's right <laughs> all right been, Cole I've been, I've been go five, ahead I've been five set I've been five seven since I was like in kindergarten I'm probably yeah. nowhere near it so you're yeah. fine yeah. yeah the driver's license is key you're Aljo's height it sounds better already I'm six foot yeah can <laughs> In that All chair, right. maybe. Yeah. Uh, Co-main event, Cody Garbrandt uh, is the former Bantamweight champion, but he's also incredibly winless, uh, dating to 2016. So he fought once each in 2017, 18, 19. Stopped by TJ Dillashaw twice, then Pedro Munoz got him. That was March of 2019, his last fight. Uh, but Garbrandt favored here, Ian, minus 145 against the plus 115 underdog, Rafael Asuncao. This is the co-main event as such. I'll take your round, your method of victory. Ian Parker, you going Garbrandt or a Sunset? What? what was that line you said? He was intensively winless? Is that, is that what you said? Incredibly. Well, he's uh, incredibly, 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 incredibly winless. 
That's a, I, I hope he doesn't hear that one. That's a tough one to take in, but very no, true. No, but it, you're well. That's the way you're reading the adverb there, right? Like, um, you could say incredibly. He's, he's surprised. Yeah, you're surprised that he is. But thanks. I'm, I, I got, I'm sure Ali Abdelaziz, my good friend, will text me later. Thank you. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just busting balls. Um, I think Cody. I think this is a this is this is a tough one. I just think for Cody, this is a fight where he's finally going to have someone. Yeah, these fucking ducks are annoying. I apologize. Don't, I gotta have to tell them to go away next time. Um, Especially the one I on would... camera. Hey, You know what? Got him. Got me. Awesome. So anyway, I think this is <laughs> fuck. Um, I think this is a uh... <laughs> TJ. That was good. I will give you credit where where it's due. That oh, was awesome. Um, so I really think for Cody, this is an opportunity that he's not going to get into a brawl with someone. That's just not who Rafael Sunsau is. He's not known for that. Very technical guy. I think if Cody could really keep his foot movement to where it used to be, not get into the pocket, bouncing it out and keep the fight on his feet, I think this is a good matchup for him. Uh, if Rafael does take this fight to the ground, though, I think Cody's in a lot of trouble. I just don't see it being the case. Rafael hasn't really done it that much in his last few fights. He's been very content with striking in that situation. I like Cody Garbrandt. I'm going to go by three-round decision. All right, decision for Cody Garbrandt, the official pick for Ian Parker. Ken Flo, Rafael Sunsau, 20 fights over 500 for his career. He's 27 and 7, been in the top five for years, now tries to avoid a third straight loss. He's 37 years old, trying to make one last run at a title fight. Incredibly, this man has never competed for the belt. Must win for him here if that's ever going to be a reality. Your thoughts on a Sunsau as a slight underdog here this weekend? Yeah, you know, this is a, a very tough fight. Now, listen, I think when you fight a guy like a Sun Sao, you better have a hell of a lot of patience. A Sun Sao, uh tends tends to not um, exchange unless it's kind of the perfect opportunity. Uh, Cody Garbrandt um, has fought perhaps one of the most brilliant performances in UFC history when he fought Dominic Cruz. Uh, now, the two performances after that, maybe you could argue it was one of the worst performances uh, in some ways because Cody Garbrandt is so damn capable as an athlete and as a fighter, but he lets his emotions get the better of him. And if he if he hasn't rectified that situation, I see him losing against a guy like a Sun Tzu, who is going to be patient, who is going to be waiting for the right opportunity to go out there and pull the trigger. Um, and he also hits very hard. He has excellent leg kicks. Um, he has excellent hooks. Um, I, he's very good on the ground. I don't see him taking down Cody Garbrandt. Cody has excellent wrestling. He's very fast. I don't see that really being a factor in this fight. However, on the feet, uh, you know, how many times have we seen Cody just get way too excited? Either he lands a shot early, rushes in there, and then gets tagged himself. Um, he definitely can't do that against someone like a Sun Sal with that kind of experience. As of right now, man, I like a Sunsau by decision in this fight. Um, it's hard for me to go against Cody Garbrandt, a guy who I've, you know, really believed in for a long time. But you got to fix those emotions. At this point, he's been a champion. I think he's been a, he's a guy who really could still be a champion if he was focused and all that stuff. Um, I, I hope he's able to get his game together. But uh, I, I like a Sunsau here. I got to go with him here uh, as as the favorite. All right, we'll see if Mark Henry and some of that East Coast training uh, pays dividends for Cody Garbrandt. I'm just excited to see a, a really good guy back in a big spot. We'll see how it goes in the co-main event. And I just like when you guys are on different sides, and that is the case with the co-main event. All right, main event, we will lead with Team Florian. 
First featherweight title defense for Amanda Nunez. She is minus 600 as a favorite here against the plus 400 underdog Felicia Spencer. In our scoring system, you pick Spencer, she wins. That's five points right out of the shoot. never mind the method or the round. So she's a natural featherweight, Kenny. She's fearless. A uh, lot of grappling and kickboxing skills. Seth Petrozelli in her corner and Mike Lee. Good coaching. Um, motivation at all-time high. It's been a long training camp for Felicia Spencer. I'm trying to sort of set up everything she's got going for her. She can effectively change her life forever, Kenny, if she beats Amanda Nunes. How do you handicap her chances this weekend? Listen, she's very tough. Uh, I think she's definitely going to be re- uh, trying to rely on her grappling skills in this one, uh, trying to get Amanda Nunes up against the up against the cage, trying to get her tired, try to grind out these rounds uh, one by one. And that is possible. I, I mean, we've seen Amanda Nunes uh, get tired in her last fight, a fight that we thought um, she would be dominant in. I, I thought that she probably should have got the finish uh, out there. Uh, but uh, Duranami, obviously very, very tough. Um, but also a different kind of uh, fighter on the feet than Spencer is. Spencer uh, is tough. She throws her shots, but really they're all to really set up uh, her takedown and and clinch game. Um, I think Nunez will have a big advantage on the feet. Um, I see Nunez uh, winning this fight around, uh, let's let's go with round three. Uh, Round three, TKO, Amanda Nunez. All right, the queen of the jungle, Amanda Nunez. I'm going to quickly set this up, Ian. So she wins the Bantamweight title against Misha Tate. Defends it three times. Ronda Rousey, Valentina Shevchenko, Raquel Pennington. Then beat Cyborg to win the featherweight title. Two more successful Bantamweight title defenses. I didn't realize she has five of those now against Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamy. Now she's trying to win her eighth straight UFC title fight, 11th straight overall. And she's prohibitively favored to do so, Ian. What do you think about Spencer and Nunez in the main event? I'm surprised it's not minus 1100 here and it's not a knock on wow. Spencer. It's, yeah, it's just not a knock on Spencer. It's just more of an appreciation to what Amanda Nunez has done. I mean, look who she's beaten and beaten decisively and finished and destroyed and just cemented her legacy. I just don't see where Felicia really threatens her anywhere here. If she, unless she can, unless in a scramble something happens and she ends up on Amanda's back. Amanda's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt as well. Uh, you know, I just think that this division does not have a lot of depth. I think that's why someone in Felicia Spencer gets a title shot. Um, I think Felicia is extremely tough, though. That fight against Cyborg, she showed a lot of heart. I just think we're talking about the women's goat here. And, you know, in that situation, Amanda Nunez, I was going to say round three. I'll say round two just for prices right purposes. And let's go with the goat, Amanda Nunez. All right, Amanda Nunez on both sides. You both like her by TKO. Let's get your quick picks on the way out. Uh, middleweight, Ian Hines trying to avoid a third straight loss here. Minus 25, the favorite against Gerald Mershart, who is minus 105. Ian, you going Hines or Mershart? I'm going Hines. Sorry, Bilal, I apologize. All right, Kemflo, Hines or Mershart? Mershart. Mershart. All right, two Bantamweights uh, competing at featherweight this weekend. Cody Stamen, minus 245. Brian Boom Kelleher, big win in May in Jacksonville is plus 205. Ian, you going Kelleher or Stamen, kid? Oh, this one's so tough. This one's tougher than the odds read. You know what? I'm going momentum. Give me Boom as the underdog. Yeah, I can understand the quick turn. Uh, Cody Stamen's a beast, though. He's certainly been training hard. Ken Flo, Stamen or Kelleher for you? I'll take Stamen in that one. All right, at middleweight, Charles Bird is back, minus 170 against Coconut Bombs. Maki Patolo, uh, who moves up to 185 pounds. Ian Parker, you like this fight at all, Bird, Patolo, or no? Give me Bird on this one. All right, Bird for Parker. Ken Flo, Bird or Coconut Bombs for you, kid? 
Yeah, I, like, I think both these guys are going to stand up. Uh, I like Bird in this one as well. All right, and then at flyweight, good fight. Uh, Alex Perez, minus 140, Juicy A4 Mega, plus 110. Ian? Another tough one, as badly as I want to say, Formiga. I, I like I like Perez here. His last fight really impressed me. I think. Oh, I know it's quick pick, so just give me Perez. <laughs> oh, it's okay to give your two cents. Kenflo, <laughs> Alex Perez certainly has momentum. Uh, Formiga or Perez for you? I'm going Formiga with no N. Yeah, I was going to say, who's who's Minga? And why is it for you know, Minga? It's so weird. It's so weird. Even when I said to myself, I go, shit, it sounded like an N on the end, and I'm going to get destroyed by TJ. But Kenny's not wearing a hat, which means he's focused and he's serious today. <laughs> yeah. And he's on top of the way I'm pronouncing. Pronoun- oh, fuck you guys. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. If you want more uh, from me and Parker, it's at Ian Parker MMA on social media. Thanks, buddy. Good stuff. We'll talk to you next week, okay? You got it, guys. See you, dude. All right, Later, Kenny. Ian Parker t-shirts coming to AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, today's pick to click brought to you by OddsShark.com. OddsShark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to OddsShark and start playing like a shark today. OddsShark.com, don't forget that second S. All right, now joining us in his usual slot during a UFC pay-per-view week, of course, sports analyst from OddsShark.com, maybe legend in the making at this point. I don't know. He's Joe Osborne on Twitter at JTFOZ. Good afternoon, my friend. Legend in the making. Wow, the heat is on. How are you guys doing? Well, hey, man, you got balls, right? Like, I, I live and breathe this UFC stuff every day, but I don't profess to be some sharp handicapper, per se, when it comes to mixed martial arts. I, I thought there was going to be a finish in Tyron Woodley, Gilbert Burns. There were a lot of cappers who were aligned with me, and you're trotting out over four and a half rounds, plus 155. Excuse my language, but just pulling your Johnson out, and, you know, you're, you're doing very well on the UFC thus far in 2020. Yeah, I actually had a lot of criticism for that one. And uh, yeah. credit, credit to people for criticizing before the fight actually happened because it's worse when you lose a bet and people come out of the woodwork and want right. to knock you for a losing bet, right? But uh, I, I just think that there was a lot of evidence to support that bet. You know, you look at uh, Woodley, four of his last five five-round fights, they all went to decision. Neither guy, you know, had a history of being a very active striker. And a lot of people said, well, Joe, there's going to be that small octagon, right? Yes, absolutely, that's true. And it does create more action in some fights, but it also creates an opportunity for fighters to lean up against the cage more often. We saw a lot of that in that fight, didn't we? So, uh, yeah, the over-under round betting, it's going pretty good so far this year. All right, good stuff, my man. Just wanted to acknowledge that off the top. We're going to get your best bet for UFC 250, but before we get there, this main event, we just got the uh, the predictions from our guys. So Amanda Nunes, minus 600 or so against Felicia Spencer. Uh, I haven't seen any numbers on the round props are you going to attack this main event? Any action to be had on the headliner this weekend? Um, I think I will be looking. Brown props aren't out yet, but I will be looking at two and a half or three and a half. And I'm going to be looking to take the over on those numbers. And um, I'll tell you why. So, you know, Felicia Spencer, she can take an absolute beating. Like, look at her fight yeah. versus Chris Cyborg. You know, she was on the wrong end of 122 significant strikes in a three-round fight that ended up going to decision. And you look at Amanda Nunes during this 10-fight win streak that she's on, and it's a little bit all or nothing uh, in terms of how long the fights are going. So 
If she doesn't finish here in the first, it could be a long fight. During that 10-fight span, she's had three decisions and, of course, the five-round finish over Rocky Pennington. So I will be looking right. for uh, over, over three-and-a-half or two-and-a-half rounds, depending on what the number is. Decision right now, it's plus 265. I think that might be a little bit too much to ask, and a little bit too risky, considering uh, Spencer, she's only gone on into championship rounds once in her career. So... Like I said, Spencer, she's tough as nails. So if she can get out of that first round, I think we could be in for a little bit longer of a fight. And if you could get over three and over two and a half rounds at around even money, over three and a half rounds, uh, maybe a little bit of plus money action there. I think that's a pretty good bet. Yeah, I would tend to be aligned with you. I do believe Felicia Spencer can extend Amanda Nunes this weekend. Uh, anything can happen uh, in a 25-foot octagon or a 30-foot octagon. Ooh, yes. But I tend to agree with what you're saying. So do you have a best bet for UFC 250, or was that what you were looking at in terms of Nunes and Spencer in the over? I do. I have an official pick to click yes. for you guys for UFC 250. We're going to go to the Bantamweight, or Bantamweight division. Uh, big fight, Eddie Wineland versus Sean O'Malley, the super prospect and he's a gigantic favorite here minus 450 that's not the pick i'm not going to give you guys a minus 450 for my <laughs> pick to that. click that's taking an easy way out so i like this fight to go to decision it's coming in at plus 205 so no doubt about it this is the biggest step up in competition in o'malley's young career so far you know uh wyland is a guy with a lot of experience a former wec champion he fought for the interim bantamweight uh, championship in the UFC at one point in his career. I think it's uh, O'Malley should win. He's a minus 450 favorite, but I don't think he's just going to run right through this guy. Uh, the reason I think that is because Wineland, he's a very good defensive fighter. Uh, you take a look at his striking defense in the UFC and WEC, uh, striking defense of 70%. That's really good. I don't have to tell you guys that. You take a look at his takedown defense in his UFC career. 93.3%. That's Man. the second best in the history of the division. He also hasn't been finished in over six years now. Lots of experience in the smaller cage, too. A lot of people don't like taking the longer fights in the smaller cage, but he has that experience in the WEC, so yeah. I think that's only going to benefit him. Then you take a look at O'Malley. He's gone to, you know, very, he might be the next big thing. He's gone to decision, though, in two of his three UFC fights so far, and Let's be fair. Let's call it what it is. Those are versus some very entry-level fighters. Now he's taking on Wineland, a guy with a ton of experience, uh, you know, a great defensive fighter, like I said. And uh, the number's pretty good, too, plus 205. So I think we're going to see that fight go to decision. That's my favorite bet for the event here on Saturday night. I love it, and you give me a lot of my research right there. And again, plus 205 on that over round prop for, uh, for Wineland and O'Malley. All right, so before we let you go, so some odds start to open on some future big fights and the fights that we believe will be next for the undisputed lightweight and welterweight championships. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, and then Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Can you tell me anything about those early numbers? I seem to know that the champions will be favored, but where are these numbers going to fall? Yeah, I think most of us here, we're just kind of waiting for some of these big fight announcements to... Uh... To come down, uh, obviously there's some logistical issues that the UFC has to figure yeah. out. It's a little bit trickier right now to make these fights. But uh, you take a look at uh, Khabib and uh, Gaethje. Odds came out for that fight the next day after Gaethje beat Ferguson. Uh, Khabib at minus 225 favorite. Gaethje coming back at plus 190. Uh, Gaethje closed around plus 155 versus Ferguson, by the way. I think that's, uh, you know, pretty fair from what we've seen. Pretty fair odds. You know, yep. you take a look at Khabib. The guy's undefeated. But I think Gaethje matches up against some 
pretty good. You know, we haven't seen his wrestling defense too much in the UFC yet, but he does have that wrestling pedigree, and, and the guy hits hard, right? Like, we saw what he did to, uh, to oh. Tony there. So I think that's going to be, uh, you know, there's definitely some value there on Gaethje. Everyone loses at some point in the right, UFC, right, usually. Right. And, you know, you see Khabib, and obviously the first thing that you think of is the grappling, but you go back and you take a look at that McGregor fight, there was a significant portion of that fight spent on the feet. So I don't know if he's going to have the luxury of being able to take down Gaethje like he did to McGregor. So uh, I think we're going to see some striking exchanges there, and I would give the nod to Gaethje in those ones. So uh, the fight that, you know, we're hoping that they announce any day now, apparently some type of contract negotiations are holding this one up. Maybe it's going to be one of the Fight Island headliners, but Kamaru Usman, minus 260 favorite over Jorge Masvidal, coming back at plus 200. You know, pretty interesting fight, and I find it pretty hard to pass up Masvidal, plus 200 right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Usman, obviously, he does have the grappling advantage, but, you know, if they're going, if he tries to go toe-to-toe with Masvidal like he did with Cummington, it might be a little bit of a different story. So I'd have to dig into that one a little bit more, but uh, Masvidal is a plus 200 underdog. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the name on everyone's lips here is Conor McGregor. Who's he going to fight next you know, last week, uh, you know, they're saying maybe uh, he'll fight Usman for the welterweight title. Of course, odds come out for that. And uh, what were oh, they that? there? Versus, he was a plus 240 underdog versus Usman. Uh, Usman minus 310 favor. That's probably fair, I guess. Just a gigantic uh, grappling and endurance advantage. And, you know, uh, Usman's really good, too. And then the funny one, and this, is a, this would piss off a lot of hardcore fans if they actually made this fight. But I think it would be fun. Uh, Anderson Silva, of course, right. calls out. Connor there last week and uh, Connor says I accept your challenge I bet that's going to happen I think the UFC would rather have McGregor and something uh, maybe a, a title contender eliminator fight or fighting for an actual title but uh, McGregor would be a small underdog minus 105 Anderson Silva coming back as a plus or the minus 125 favorite there I think that would be a fun fight you know Silva maybe can't really take much of a punch anymore but he would have that gigantic size advantage over McGregor so I'd watch it I'd pay for it so, uh, you know, we're just waiting for these fights to be made, and hopefully uh, hopefully we'll get a big one here in July. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. I think the hardcore fan in me is just like, can Conor McGregor chase lightweight greatness again, please, right, and compete at 155 pounds, his best weight class? I think he has one lightweight win, right? So I want to see yeah. Conor at 55 with respect to to the uh, the great Anderson Silva. All right, on uh, Twitter, at JTFOZ, one of the sharpest, most thoughtful cappers out there. He is Joe Osborne. Great work, as always, buddy. I, I wish you all the best on the board at, at UFC 250, and uh, we will talk to you later this month, my man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Good luck, and good luck to all the listeners out there. All right, there he is. Thank you very much, Joe Osborne. So I would be interested to pose to the listeners and the viewers if you had a hundred bucks to go to the sports book, you're taking Masvidal plus 200 against Usman, or you're taking Gaethje plus 190 against Khabib. You know, who's the more live underdog in those two scenarios? Because the numbers are pretty close. So maybe we'll attack that uh, next week on the program. Before we get out of here, Ken Flo, just want like 30 seconds on John Jones. I mean, certainly disappointed uh, to see that potentially he and Dana White are at odds over finances and that John is not going to be competing anytime soon. The other part of this, obviously, is John Jones, uh, you know, past 
issues and behavior and judgment, maybe wondering if this is just a negotiating thing or is he really stepping away? Uh, he was also in the streets trying to help Albuquerque combat people who were vandalizing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on what was obviously a busy weekend for uh, the greatest of all time, Johnny Bones? Well, it was cool to see him do that, by the way. The Batman of yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty cool to see him out there. Imagine a dude with a spray, uh, uh, you know, a spray can out there and the baddest dude on the planet is like, give me that, bro. Right. And you're like, yeah, you take that. That's I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. Uh, it would not go well if you wanted to hold on to that can. But, uh, yeah, kudos to John. I, listen, I think that he believes that the UFC might be in a, a, a little bit more of a difficult spot with everything that's going on. And he feels like he has some leverage here to negotiate uh, and also kind of to take advantage of the fact that most people – do consider him the greatest of all time. And if you are the greatest of all time in mixed martial arts, then perhaps you deserve a certain amount of money. And I think that's his his point here. Um, and I think he's challenging Dana. I also think he has enough money to retire right now if he needs to. Um, and I don't think he has any trouble saying goodbye to the sport. Um, but, and I also think that John Jones is motivated by a bigger challenge. I don't yeah. think he feels pushed by guys like Rays. I don't think he feels pushed by guys like Anthony Smith. I do think that when he's a little bit fearful or a little bit um, worried about the opponent across from him, we see the best in him. I mean, you look at his performances against yeah. Daniel Cormier and, and all the other challenges that were supposed to be big challenges. He rises to that occasion. I think that's that brings out the best in John Jones. And I think that that's why he loves that fight against Ngannou. Um, you know, I, it looks like he was asking for something closer to 15 million. Um, I don't know if he's as big of a star as a Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, that that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's a business decision. Um, I think if he asked for something closer to around eight million, he could get that. Yeah. But fifteen million, if that's what he was asking for, seems to be perhaps a little bit uh, much for this environment right now. It's just so tricky at heavyweight because if Francis Ngannou wasn't lurking, right? It's not a 60-pound discrepancy, but John Jones is at a point where he has mastered going down to 205 pounds. Mm -hmm. Not that it isn't a struggle, but Ken Flo, he's in such a good place in the weight class that to move up, you know, for a one-off, in a, it's a 60-pound gap, essentially, for John. So sure. to move up to heavyweight for a couple years and try to become the UFC heavyweight champion and, and be a bigger, better version of yourself, I can understand that. I've never been behind a one-off, but I hope that, as he says, he's going to relinquish the light heavyweight title that maybe uh, in a couple weeks he uh, he comes back. Because I do have an appetite for the Reyes rematch, even though I understand it's not necessarily a legacy builder uh, for Johnny Bones. All right, AnnaFlorianPodcast.com is now live. You can listen to the show from there. You can watch. You can buy merchandise. Meraki, Meraki, excuse me, BJJ.com. I mean, can you pronounce the goddamn name of your partner's fucking jujitsu school correctly? <laughs> MerakiBJJ.com if you want to check the website. That T-shirt looks pretty good, Ken Flo. Is that a medium or a large? Uh, this is a large, I believe. I fill it's it up pretty well. If you look at the pecs, they're pretty, pretty yeah, strong right you now. Look good. So, you, good. Yeah, you look good. Thank you. All right, well, we appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back next Monday, June 8th. And we will recap UFC 250. We'll also have an Instagram live coming up on Saturday. I'll be uh, on my way to the UFC Apex or something like that. Uh, thank you to our guests, Joe Osborne, Ray Longo, Ian Parker, our producers, TJ DeSantis and Cody Merrow. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. We appreciate every last one of you subscribing, watching, listening, and everything else. Safeness, health, and wellness to everybody out there. Until next week, be well. Don't text and drive. Go ahead.
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.